The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. First Peter chapter uh, 2 this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10 as we started last week in verse 4 looking at what Peter has to say about who and what we are, about our identity, both individually and corporately, our, our church, our, our, our gathering, who we are, what our identity is. Um, the reality that, that we've seen as we've studied 1 Peter uh, up until this point, this point is that Christianity changes our identity. When you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, your identity changes. This happens because when we come to, to Christ in faith, the scriptures tell us that we are born again. We are given a new life. We, we become spiritually a new person. And this, this new creation that happens in us when we uh, come to Christ in faith, it creates in us a new identity. And I believe that this new identity comes... From this new birth, but also it, it comes and is, is shaped by the, the changes in relationship that, that take place in this new birth. And here's what I mean by that. When we come to Christ in faith and we are born again, we are given a new life, uh, relationships change. Our relationship with God changes. And because our relationship with God changes, our relationship with others changes. This is what we've seen so far. I know there are probably many here who've not been um, with us as we've, we've walked through 1 Peter together. I will say that our sermons um, are uh, available online. You can find those on our website. You can find those on um, Apple's podcast app. You can find those on um, Stitcher. But here's, here's what we've seen so far. In, in chapter 1, verse 3, we see that we are born again. That's what, what Peter tells us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the great mercy or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born again when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Through this new birth, we become, we see in verse 14 of chapter 1, we become children of God. Peter says it this way, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Literally, it is as children of obedience. We become children of God with a disposition that has been changed. Where once we were disobedient to God by our nature, now because we've been born again, we've been made obedient to God. We are children of obedience. We're born again. We're made children of God. We're called to love one another. That's um, verse 22 in chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then Peter shows us 
a part of the way that we love one another with a sincere love. And we do that as we put things away. We get rid of certain things in our life. That's the beginning of uh, chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like uh, newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. So here's what happens. We're born again. We're, our relationship with God changes as we become children of God, not enemies of God. Our relationships with others change as we're called to love one another. We experience this as we put these, these sins away that, that cause fractures in relationships. And then as we long for the word of God which brings growth. And last week we see that we are brought in together with all other believers to be a living spiritual house. Peter says it this way. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter shows us in the beginning of those, those verses that being born again to a living hope, being brought into a relationship with God, being brought into relationships with one another, we are parts, every believer, parts of the living house of God. This is the church. The church is the people of God <coughs> gathered together to do these things that we've read about. This is the church. Now what we see in this text is Peter showing us how the story that God has been writing since creation, what he has been doing, that it has always been about people. And it's vitally important that we, we understand this. That from creation until now, God has been about one thing. And that one thing is gathering for himself a people. Now that has looked differently throughout the ages. That's taken different forms throughout the ages. But the point has always been people. We see this in the Old Testament as God, in his grace, chooses a man... Noah to save from destruction. Noah and his family. Because he desires, God desires for himself a people. To save for himself a people. So he chooses Noah and his family. This really becomes clear as God chooses a man, Abram. 
And he tells Abram, from you, Abram, who would become Abraham, from you, I make a a promise. I make a covenant. That from you, I will build for myself a people. I will build a nation from you. And that nation is the nation of Israel. Now, what Peter does here in 1 Peter chapter 2 is that he uses Old Testament allusions and Old Testament references about Israel to show us, show his readers, what God has always planned to do. That God's dealing with his ancient people Israel were always pointing to something greater and grander than the nation of Israel ever experienced. That God was laying the, the foundation and the framework for what he would eventually do through his son, Jesus Christ. And Christ and his people is the great theme of scripture. And it has been the great theme of scripture all the way through. Beginning in the Old Testament, moving all the way through to where we are today. The grand point of what God is doing is seen and expressed in Jesus Christ and his people. It's always been about a people. But now what we see is this is not a people of just one race. This is not a people of just one nation. This is not a people of just one biological family. But what God is doing through Christ in his people is he is gathering for himself a people of all nations, of all races, who will be joined together collectively as one family. Now, through Jesus Christ, a new nation is formed. And it's a nation of born-again people who have a new identity And a new purpose. This is what we see starting in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now you may be wondering, Jason, why are we talking about Old Testament and Israel? The reason is that you cannot understand this text if you do not understand the Old Testament and Israel. You can't make make sense of it. Because what Peter does is he pretty much quotes directly from the Old Testament 
and God's promises to his people of, of Israel. This is, this is seen in Exodus chapter 19. And I want you to listen to this same language that um, Moses records here at, at Mount Sinai. Starting in verse 1, Exodus 19, it says, On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, Peter takes what is recorded in Exodus 19, and he uh, orders them a little differently, but you see them all present. Peter says in verse 9, but you are a chosen race. Now, remember, this is who Peter's talking to. He's talking to us. He's talking to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's, he's telling us, and he's teaching us what our identity is, both individually and corporately as the people of God. And he says, you are a chosen race. Now, what's remarkable about this is exactly who, who Peter's writing this letter to. I, I want you to remember, here's what it says. Peter, an apostle, this is verse 1 it's, of uh, chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersia in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter is writing to brothers and sisters who have been scattered throughout the Middle East. And they're, they're in what is, is an area roughly of, of modern-day Turkey. But these are believers who are certainly several different races. These are our brothers and sisters who are certainly several different nationalities. See, among these people that Peter's writing to, there would not have been a, a common bloodline or a common ancestor. These are different people, different races, different nat nationalities. But what we see, as Peter tells them, you are a chosen race. What we see is that what they have counted even more. What God had done in them 
counted even more than their race or their nationality or their bloodline. The fact and the, the truth that they had been elected by God, that they had been chosen by God, that they'd been called by Him into a new community, into a new race, into a new family, supersedes any other kind of race, any other kind of family, any other kind of ancestor. What God has done in their hearts, individually and corporately, by choosing them for salvation and giving them a new birth supersedes all earthly races, all earthly families. This new race supersedes any old race. This new family supersedes any old family. Now this can be difficult to, to take sometimes, I think, but this is exactly, I believe, what Jesus means when he says in Luke 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not telling us that to be a Christian, we have to hate our family. What Jesus is telling us is, as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, because we've been born again, because we've been gathered together as the people of God, because we are now a chosen race, our new family supersedes any old family. Our new family is greater than any other family. It's not that the, the family unit doesn't matter. It certainly matters. The family unit is, is not an institution of the government. It is not an institution of the culture. It is instituted by God himself. But what the, the local family illustrates is the whole earthly family of God. That being a, a child of God and being born again, being a part of this chosen race... This new family is any greater, is greater than any old family. We are now a chosen race. You see, this, this language brings us back to God's promises to Israel. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. To be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people. That the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And he repays to their faith, face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore 
Be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. You see, what God was doing then in the people of Israel finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ and his people. Because here's the problem. The problem is that those people, the people of Israel and us, we are unable to do what God required, right? What is God telling us through Deuteronomy chapter 7? He says... If we are faithful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Guess what church? They weren't able to do it. The people of Israel were not able to do it. And neither are we. And the reason why this promise finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and his people. Is because Jesus was able Jesus was able to keep every commandment. Jesus was able to fulfill every word, every promise, to keep every covenant. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. He was able. And because he was able, this promise that God made to his people of Israel that he has chosen was Fulfilled, it found its total fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And now, by God's grace, it finds its fulfillment in us. Because Christ kept these perfectly on our behalf, so that by our faith in Him, there would be a great exchange. And it would be our guilt. For his righteousness. Jesus kept all of the commandments of God. So that when we come to him by faith. Our guilt because we never could. Could be exchanged for his righteousness because he did. And when that exchange happens. We become by the grace of God. The fulfillment of the people of God. Through Jesus Christ. We are now a chosen Race through Jesus Christ. Not only are we a chosen race, but we are also a royal priesthood. This is the second time that Peter has used this imagery of of priest to describe our new identity. He did it uh, earlier in verse 5 of chapter 2 where he says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So now Peter has said of us twice that being born again, having this new identity, being gathered into the people of God, we are now priests. In the Old Testament, the priest was the one who went before God to make sacrifices on behalf of the people. So you had the temple of God. You had the holy of holies. You had the mercy seat where the presence of God dwelled. And you had a priest who would go into the presence of God to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people of God. That's the function of the priest, to serve as a mediator between God who is holy and man who is sinful. Now, because we are the people of Jesus Christ, now we are priests. 
Now we can come before God. And the reason that we can do this, the reason that now our identity is one as a priest is because we have a great high priest who is our mediator, Jesus Christ. We can come before God on our own because of Jesus Christ. We're no longer dependent on someone to do it for us. Jesus Christ did it once and for all, for all of his people. And now we're priests. There are lots of places in the scripture that, that teach this. I'll give you just, just a couple. First Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, as the people of Jesus Christ, we have a great high priest, a mediator, who has once and for all come before God offering a sacrifice for the sin of his people, fully forgiving us, so that we can, by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, come to the throne of grace of God. We need no mediator. We need no priest. We have a mediator. We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ. Christ. And now, because of our relationship with him, we are priests. Now, first, in verse 5, Peter says we are we're a holy priesthood. Because we've been made holy, we've been made righteous. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, the holiness of Jesus Christ has become ours through faith. And so we can come before the presence of God. But not only are we holy priests... We are also now, in verse 9, a royal priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. Now, what does this mean? I believe this carries two meanings. The first is that a royal priest are priests who serve the king by having access to his holy presence. That's what it means to be a royal priest. To serve the king because you have access to his presence. Only very few priests... Only very few people have access directly to the king. But we, as the people of, of Jesus Christ, by his blood, through his sacrifice, we have direct access to the, to the holy king, God himself. And so we can come before God on our own. And our ability to do that means that we are royal priests. The second thing is that it is priests who rule with the king in his kingdom. Not only does, do, do royal priests have access to this holy king, but royal priests also join with the king in ruling his holy kingdom. You see, the spiritual house that God is building and we are a part of is a royal house comprised of his royal family. 
And we, by his grace, through Jesus Christ, have been adopted into that royal family. And we've been placed into his royal house. The house of God, the people of God. Not the building, but the people, the spiritual house that God is building, comprised of stones that are living, that get their life from the living cornerstone, are royal stones adopted into the family of God. The church of God is a royal house of priests. We are made holy. We are adopted into his family. We are a part of the kingdom of God here on this earth. And we can freely enter into his presence. That's what it means to be a royal priesthood. We are now in Jesus Christ. We are a chosen race. God chose us for salvation. He gave us new life. He gathered us together with other people who have this new life. And we're now a part of a chosen race that supersedes any earthly race. We are now royal priests, a part of a royal priesthood, serving the kingdom of God through the people of God, able to freely enter his presence. See, that doesn't, I, 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 I think that loses some of its meaning on us. Because we don't get the, the gravity of coming into the presence of God like they did. You know, in the Old Testament, that, that high priest who would go into the holies of holies, he'd have a rope tied around his leg. Because if you enter into the presence of a holy God in a manner that is unworthy, in a manner that is, is marred by sin, guess what happens? You don't come out alive. So they tie a rope to his leg so nobody else has to risk that. They just pull his corpse out. I mean, that's what it meant to come into the the presence of God to the people of Israel. But now as this fulfillment of what God was promising to the people of Israel, we can freely approach his throne of grace without that kind of fear of condemnation. Because of Jesus Christ, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. And then Peter says, we are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. This is the fulfillment of Exodus 19 that we read. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does this mean, a holy nation? It means that we are a holy people. That as the people of of Christ, we are a set-apart people. That God has, by his sovereignty and through his grace, he has chosen us out of all of the world. He's chosen us and he has set us apart to be a holy people, to be a, a holy nation. We've been made holy. We've been set apart to be his his people. This word nation here is ethnos, and it means literally a people or an ethnic group. It is a people with a common culture and a common history. Now, isn't it remarkable that now, even though we are all different, 
even though we have different backgrounds, even though we have different families, even though we have different skin colors, even though we may have different cultures, now, now, we are one people. We are one ethnos. We are one nation. And we have a common culture, a culture of holiness. And we have a common history of what God began to do in Noah and Abraham and David. All of these promises that were made to the the people of Israel are now by God's grace ours and they are our history. We have a common history. We have a common culture. A culture of holiness and the whole history of the world and what God's doing as our history. Now as as I thought through this, I thought, this sounds like a cult. Anybody else think that? Or is that just, just me? Like I'm reading that and I'm thinking, this kind of sounds cultish. Like, like everybody's the same. Right? So, like, you know, next week we're all going to shave our heads. Hunter beat us to it. We're all going to shave our heads. We're all going to, uh, you know, wear the same cloak. And, and we're a, a, a cult. That's what this probably sounds like to a world who doesn't understand what this, this means. But this, this gathering together of, of God, a, a holy nation, a people of, of common ethnos, this doesn't happen through brainwashing. This happens through being born again by the Holy Spirit. This happens spiritually as God, by His grace, comes into us, removes a heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, puts us in a right relationship with Him, puts us in a right relationship with one another, and now, because of the Holy Spirit's work in us, because we've been born again, now there's a commonality among us that supersedes any worldly differences. It's not a commonality through brainwashing. It's a commonality through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as God creates for himself a people who are holy, who are set apart, who are different than the rest of the world, who are united together through Jesus Christ. This is the church of God. We are his and he is ours. God says it this way, we are a people for his possession. That's the fourth thing that Peter lists, a people for his possession. You see, here's the reality. God did not just do all of this that he began in the Old Testament, the promises that he made to his people in the Old Testament that found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ and his people. God didn't do this just for no reason. And he didn't do it all just for us. Now we get great benefit by being the people of God, being chosen by God, being born again. But God didn't do it for just any reason and God didn't do it all just for us. He did it so that we would be his, that we would belong to him because now we are a people for his possession. This is the promise made 
through Moses at Sinai in Exodus 19. Verse 5, now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people. They were unable to do it. Jesus was able. Now, by Jesus Christ, we have become the treasured possession of God. Now, we belong to God. Because we have been purchased by him. Now there are loads of verses that speak to this. That we've been purchased by God. We'd be here for a long time. So I just found one. It's Titus chapter 2. Starting in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. That is Jesus Christ. The grace of God who has appeared and who has brought salvation to his people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. God's sovereignty elected all who would believe and by Christ's sacrifice on the cross paid the price to redeem them and the Holy Spirit brought them to new life through conviction of sin and faith in the Savior And therefore, now all believers belong to the God who redeemed them. Our life is not our own. It is his. We are his treasured possession. We who were once enemies through Jesus Christ are treasures to him. This is what the church is. It's a chosen race. It's a royal priesthood. It's a holy nation. It's a people for his possession. It is a spiritual house with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. The church is not a building. It's a people. Called and changed. Gathered together. And living for one purpose. And that's what we see in verse 9. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That, this is the the, the statement of the purpose, it's the word of purpose. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, we are the people of God with one purpose, one grand purpose, and that is to proclaim his excellencies. Now, here's what I love about this verse. 
Because this verse doesn't teach us that you have to go to seminary to be able to proclaim his excellencies. This verse doesn't teach us that you have to have all the biblical knowledge in the world to be able to proclaim the excellencies of God. What this verse shows us and what this verse teaches us is that this proclamation of the excellencies of God comes from a personal experience. That once we were in darkness, but now we've been brought into his marvelous light, right? Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we had no mercy, but now we have mercy. And this is what God has called us to do. To proclaim to the world, to proclaim to the nations the excellencies of God, not in religious speak, not in seminary terms, not in all of this grand and great wisdom that we think that we need to have. Now, seminary is good. I went. You should go if you want to. It's, it's great. <laughs> but this proclamation comes out of your personal experience of what God has done in you. Of him bringing you out of darkness into light. Of him taking you who were once no people at all. Enemies to God. Outside of the promises of God. But by his grace bringing us into the people of God. You who once were in the need of, of mercy. Having now received mercy. Church here's the application. This is who we are as the people of God. We are living stones, a part of the spiritual house of God. We are holy priests. We're chosen races. We're royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're people for his own possession. That's all great and grand theological truth, but that doesn't just stop in our heads. That moves us to this great application to now we go and proclaim the excellencies of what God has done. Are you proclaiming the excellencies of God? Notice this is not just live your life and let it proclaim. This is open your mouth and speak the excellencies of God. Are you proclaiming the excellencies of God? This is what God has done. Do you have any excellencies to proclaim? Can you stand and say, God has brought me out of darkness into his marvelous life. God has taken me who was once no people at all and brought me into the people of God. God has given me mercy when I once didn't have mercy. Can you proclaim that? Have you experienced that in the person and the work of Jesus Christ? If you haven't, then today is the day of salvation. Come to him in humility and faith. And this can be your story. You can be brought into this great work that God's been doing since the foundation of the world to gather for himself a people. You can be a part of that. It happens through Jesus Christ. It's found nowhere else. Come to him in faith. If you have, then are you living a life that proclaims his excellencies by sharing this story to all nations? starting right here where we live and going to the ends of the earth.
Because God is gathering for himself a people of every tribe, of every tongue, and of every nation to create for himself a people who are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that they may throughout all of this earth proclaim the excellencies of God. That's what it means to be a church. That's what, by God's grace, we're about and we will be about. Change of address, change of a building, praise God. But more importantly, may we proclaim the excellencies of what he's done in us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.